0: Series of Live Rich. I want you to think about margin and what it looks like for us to live within what God has for us. So, one of the jobs that I had in college was I waited tables, and one of the things I learned early on is just because they were a lawyer or a doctor or they made a lot of money didn't mean that they tipped well. And so, as the head waiter, I got to that point of realizing, hey, you know who's going to tip well and who's not going to tip well, and so everybody wanted to wait on the doctors and lawyers in town, especially at lunch. And so I would shift those over to the younger people that wanted, thought it was cool to wait on the doctors and lawyers because I knew that the regular people were actually going to tip. And I could have less tables and care for those that were going to really tip and let others run and be busy and kind of scurry about trying to pursue the lawyers and doctors who they thought were going to tip. And then they would get like 50 cents or a dollar on their bill. And so they would be extremely frustrated. The more we make, there's a tendency for us to give less. If you look at the American standards of how people give and how people respond to giving, that the more that we make, the giving goes down. And again, I think this is this idea of consumerism and of that we are tied to our stuff and the image of what we think that our stuff gives us. And so that the more that we make, the more that we think we've got to build up this image of people looking at what we've got and what we don't have. And, and here we have to have this car and this house and all these different things so that we can present this image of I've made it and I've arrived. Because we work hard to get to this place. And so when we get to there, we want to, we want to have it. And so we have this desire, this spirit of consumerism. So this morning, if you have your Bibles, look with me in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting at Verse 17. One of the reasons that we struggle with the giving is because wealth has side effects. Wealth has side effects. There's always room for more. Whenever I said, hey, how many of you lived rich this week? All of you kind of laughed at me. Why? Because all of us know someone that's rich. It's just not us right cuz there's always room for more whenever they ask people hey you make $30,000 is that enough people say no because 50,000 is enough and then you ask people who are making 50,000 they're saying is 50,000 enough and they're saying no i need 75,000 and then you ask people who are making a million dollars they say is that enough no actually i need 2 million dollars we we have this idea that there's never enough we're always pursuing and looking for the next thing we live in denial over our wealth, and we also are plagued with discontent. Our appetites are never satisfied. Thanksgiving, right? Everybody had lunch between noon and two. I don't know what that is. There's this little thing that happens noon and two, and you eat, and then what happens? It's like 45 minutes later, the tryptophan's kicked in, you have a quick little nap, and you wake up, and people are hungry. How in the world? Could we be hungry after we just gorged ourselves? Because our appetites continue to grow. We're never satisfied. How many of you have ever upgraded your phone? And your phone is okay. It works, right? It turned on. You were able to answer it. You were able to make calls. You were able to text. But we have to have... The new one, right? Whenever the new iPhone just came out, literally people waited in line for hours to get a new phone when they were in line, the same line last year, to get a phone that was going to be the next revolutionary thing. And it's we continued to upgrade. How many of you have bought a new car recently? Some of you, nobody here. Okay, nobody in this church has bought a new car. Sorry, Kenny Baker. (laughs) Kenny is broke. All of you need to go down to the local Ford store. When we buy a new car, how many of us tow our car into the car shop and say it has gone, that there's no tires, there's nothing? I mean, it is like literally gone and you pull up and you say, hey, I need a new car. Very few of us, right? Most of us, we have a pretty good car and it's reached this little certain level and you pull it in and you go, hey, Kenny, here's my perfectly good car. You're not going to give me a whole lot of money for it, and I'm going to give you more money for another perfectly good car that has a few more bells and whistles. Right? Because we're on to the next thing. I've even heard that there are people that will go into their kitchens, and they'll look at their kitchen that has cabinets, and has a refrigerator, and it has a stove, and oven, and a microwave. They will walk in, and all the stuff works, and say, hey, I need new stuff. I need to upgrade, right? Why? Because the stove, I don't know what it is. You you just got this whole thing. And so we have this idea of we've got to continually upgrade and to move on. And and that's not necessarily bad, but it's this this moving on. And how do we continue to, to grow in? And what is it that we don't just use stuff up to the end anymore? And then also I've heard rumors that if you walk into a lady's closet, there might be more than one pair of shoes. Can you believe that? There might be more than one. Actually, here's the interesting thing. There might be more than one purse. I heard an amen on that. All right. There might be one. Why? Why is there more than one purse? Because you it's got to match your shoes. Right. And so you get a pair of shoes and immediately you got to go buy a pair of you got to buy another purse to match. And so we're in this constant upgrade. I mean, guys, we're constantly upgrading. We have this tool and we go, hey, this is a good tool for this. But if we really want it to go faster and honey, if we want it to to work better, and if you really want the upgraded kitchen, honey, then I need to upgrade my tools. Right. And so we've got this whole system working of upgrading and how we continually move through. And so for our wealth and we're constantly looking for more. When is enough? When does it stop? And so for many of us, the reason that we don't have some of that margin that we're looking for in life is because we're constantly pursuing more. We're constantly pursuing adding to. And and in most times, we're buying stuff with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. Like how many times do you pull up next to someone in Houston or, or Austin and you're like, Hey, look at my ride. Very, not very often, right? So we're impressing people we don't even know. All right, let's jump in. Paul's giving some advice to Timothy, and he's telling him, hey, Timothy, everybody doesn't think they're rich, but there are going to become a time where people do have some money and they do have some wealth, and when they get to that place, I want you to teach them what it's like to be rich. For us as followers of Jesus, what should it look like for us when we have money? That's why we should be practicing. He says this, okay, so those that who are rich... Now remember, none of you in here are rich, but we're practicing, okay? So those that you know that are rich, here Paul is, is talking to Timothy, command those that you know that are rich in this present world to what? Not be arrogant. Why? Have you ever had this conversation with someone? You're sitting there and you're talking to them and you go, hey, so-and-so, and hey, you know Joe and Susie? Yeah, man, would you you would never know that they're rich. You would describe them and you say all this different stuff, and you would say, you would never know that they have such and such amount of money. What are you saying? They are not arrogant, right? And so they have this disposition about them that that God has blessed them, whatever career they've chosen, but God has blessed them and they have lots of money and wealth at their disposal, but it hasn't changed them. They can still walk up to anyone and have a conversation. They don't place themselves up on a higher pedestal, on a higher plane. They maybe they dress normal. Maybe they dress a you know, and have a car just like you and I have, and they look like everyone else, but whenever you really get to know them and get to know a little bit about their story, you're like, dude, those people are loaded. And you're like, I want to be like that. And so you you think about what does that look like, and you begin to pull back and say, listen, this money thing hasn't changed them. This money thing that God has blessed them with is actually is a tool that God's given them that they're able to be generous, and when we look at them, we say, hey, they're not, wealthy like you would think. You would think that they would be different and would act different. What we're saying is, when people come into money, including myself, I'm going to be tempted to be this. And that's why Paul is talking to Timothy. As a matter of fact, Jesus spends a lot of the New Testament talking about wealth wealth and money and how wealth and money can distract our heart and distract our mind. Don't be arrogant with your wealth. He continues on. He says, nor to put their hope in their wealth, which is uncertain, hope and wealth, what are you giving your hope toward because the wealth is uncertain. If you were around in two thousand and eight and had any money in the stock market, I know some of you lost significant amount of money, I lost significant amount of my money. Look, thankfully, I'm young enough and can hopefully build some of that back up. But we have this hope that at some point we're going to have enough money where we can retire or hope we have enough money so we can do this or do that, travel and do the different things. And we place a great amount of hope in this money. And so what Paul is telling Timothy, listen, number one, don't be arrogant. And as you talk to your people, let them understand that this money thing is fleeting. It can be here one day and gone the next. We've had friends that have had their house burned down, and so when their house burns down, everything is in there, literally everything is in there. And so to rebuild, it's your wealth is there. You think everything is there, and all of a sudden it's gone, it's pulled away. We just had the hurricane, right? And so, so many had hope in that place, and that place is gone, and so we're literally restarting. And what does it look like for us to restart? And when we place so much hope in our physical stuff that we've got, and it's yanked away from us, we're kind of left wondering what in the world is going on. Because we placed our hope in the physical things. Don't be arrogant. Don't place your hope in that. Our hope begins to migrate away from God. Where your treasure is, there your heart goes also. Have you ever done this exercise where you pull out your checkbook or you pull down and you look at your, your money for the month and begin to say, hey, this is where my money goes here, my money goes here, my money goes to different places? You can quickly tell what you treasure by where your money is going. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy here. He says, hey, listen, pull up your bank account, begin to look and see, find the trail. And where it is, you've got a chain attached to your heart and your pocketbook are chained together where your heart wants, what your heart desires, your pocketbook is tied to. You can see it where your money is going. There's a trail from there to your heart. Proverbs 18 verse 11 says it this way, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine a wall too high to scale. What's the amount of money that we need to make us feel safe? What is the amount of money that we need to make us feel safe? For most of us, it's a little bit more. And when you pull up your bank accounts, you know, now you've got the little apps on your phone and you can pull it up and you do the thumb thing and it pulls up your account and it says the spendable balance. Most of your accounts say spendable balance and you're like, oh wow, i got 500 more dollars to go right? How much more money do you need to bring safety? I know there's those times where for some of us and many of us been in that place where there's a little bit more month than there is money. Remember those days where you're eating ramen, you're eating mac and cheese, you're eating whatever you can possibly find and eat. Remember whenever Becky and I first got married, I was thankful that I worked in a restaurant because I got to bring home the extras. So we ate a lot of baked potatoes. And stuff, and that was what we were eating because we were just trying to make it. And So you remember those days and you, you, they're, fond, they're with great fondness of where God's brought you to, but also to remember, hey, you've got to work hard and, and what are the things that are most important, where your treasure is, how much wealth do you need to, to get this wall to, to feel like you're fortified, to feel like you're safe, to feel like you've made it, to feel like no one can get in what you can do for safety and protection. For greed is the opposite of this. And so what God has been talking to us about over the last couple of weeks in this living rich idea is, hey, that you take this money that you get and instead of just with greed, you take it and you hold on to it. But whenever you are living rich is you receive it and you allow yourself to, hey, I'm receiving it, I'm using it, but I have open hands and I'm going to be passing it on to someone else. Whether that's your car, we talked about last week. What would it look like if you bought a new car and immediately the moment that you bought the new truck, Someone called and said, Hey, I'm moving. Can I borrow your truck? And what would that be like? That maybe the very reason you got that new truck was so that you could help so and so move. And even in your heart, you know that, Hey, it might have a dent. It might have a scratch. It's going to come back and it's probably not going to be perfect. Exactly like it might even smell differently than what you've imagined. And what that maybe, but that's what it means for us to live rich is listen, that God is giving to us so that we can share and pass on to other people what amount of wealth do we need to bring safety and to feel safety do you have enough what if what if what if what if this happens what if this happens what if what if this happens in my life what if this happens i've got kids that I'm thinking about they they want to talking about going to college so what does that look like how do you put aside money there and if i put aside money over here so they can go to school, then that means I can't do this. And if I can't do this, then what if this happens? And and my wife, she still wants me to date her. So if I have to go out on dates, then that means that I have to pay for the food. And thankfully now I don't have to have babysitters. And so some of you, I remember those days where you you were dating your wife or dating your husband and you had to go out and you would go out to eat or you would go to dinner and you had to pay for a babysitter. And so it was like (laughs) $1,000. Seriously, like you come home and you're like, goodness gracious, it's like kids are expensive, and then dating your spouse is expensive, and so we're constantly are in this thing. But if this happens, and what if this happens, and so we're constantly looking, and so we're we're trying to build up this this fortress of money, and so that we can feel safe. And it seems like sometimes that just money is going here, and money is going there, and then we get to this place where we're like, hey, we finally arrived, and God blesses us, blesses us with something, and then someone calls and says, hey, Chris, can I? And you're like, but I just got it, and he says, I know. Because here's the deal, is that so much of what we have, we think it's actually ours. And it's not. It's His. It allows us to be stewards of it. And it's the difference different between stewardship and ownership. So much of what we have, we think that we own it, when in reality, we're the stewards of it. And so we begin to grasp this idea of even the house that I have, even the car that I have, even the clothes that I wear, all this different stuff that's at our disposal, it's not truly mine. It's His. He allows me to be the steward of it. And the better that we're stewards of the things that He blesses us with, many times, not always, but many times, He even finds a way to bless us with more because He wants us to be generous so that we can look like Him and be generous to those around us. And so one of the best ways for us to continue to grow and to look more like God is for us to continue to be more generous so that as you receive some of the blessings, and these are not always financial blessings, but as you receive blessings that you can receive them and then pass them on to others and say, listen, receive this and pass it on. You you need this. People call and ask, and, and you know you can even see people's needs. They don't have to call and ask. You can see their needs, and you have, and we think of ourselves as owners instead of stewards. And so, and when we're owners, we hold on to and we grab to as something that we got to hold on to because we're looking for safety and security, and we're trying to build the wall up. We're continuing to build it higher and higher and higher. And God's saying, listen, I'm not giving to you so you can build a wall around yourself and protect yourself. I want you to tear the wall down so I can bless you so it can come and it's can go. At the same time, for us to move from thinking that we're just owners, of what God's given us to be stewards as well. What has God given you to be stewards of? What if, instead of asking what if, asking why not? God, why not would you allow me to be blessed in this way so I can pass it on to others? Continuing on in 2 Timothy, Paul's tells Timothy, but to put their hope not in their finances, to not build up their hope in their finances, but to hope. In God, when our wealth becomes our hope, we begin to hoard. We begin to, to add more stuff. If you have kids, this is real easy. You begin to, as a parent, we want good things for our kids. And so we begin to, we buy them things. They need some of those things. We want them to have some things that maybe we didn't have. And then one day you walk into their room and you trip over those things. And you're like, what in the world? But listen, I wouldn't have it any other way that I could be able to be able to do that for my children. But at some point, like for us, God the Father is saying, Listen, I've blessed you with so many things. Quit hoarding for yourself, pass on for other people. Many of us are not rich. As we said here, and many of us are not rich, but many of us, our hearts have already migrated. That we've placed not our hope in our we've placed our hope not in God, but we've placed our hope in our money and in our future of our money. And in that moment, whenever you begin to place your hope, in your money, then your hope and your heart begins to migrate away from hoping in and looking to God for the answers and the solutions for life. And you move from becoming a steward to, to what you think that you own things. Your hope and your heart has migrated and you begin to worship money. You begin to worship the image of what you think that money is going to bring you. And so you begin to, to hoard and to build up stuff because you're working on an image to say, look, look, I've arrived, look who I am, it begins to change your heart and your mindset. The chief competition with God is money. The chief competition with God is money. It just is. It's the natural desire for us because, listen, we cannot do life without finances. We cannot do life without money. And so it's a constant thing, and our wealth becomes a substitute for God. In Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8 and 9, Solomon, who was the wisest man in the world and the richest man in the world, said this, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. That's a pretty good prayer, isn't it? Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me enough for today. It sounds like the Lord's Prayer a little bit, doesn't it? Give me today my daily bread. Give me enough for today. Tomorrow is gone. I don't know what... Tomorrow, the past is gone. Tomorrow is coming. I can't even worry about tomorrow. We make plans and tomorrow is coming. But just give me enough for today. Because listen, even when we wake up, at whatever time you wake up, you have a plan for the day and those plans usually are gone by 10 a.m. Because things happen. Life happens. Give me enough for today. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you. And say, who is the Lord? I may become poor and steal and dishonor the name of the Lord. Listen, there's going to come a moment at the end of life. And you're on your end of life moment and you're there and you got this two questions you're going to ask yourself. Look back over your life and you say, is there a God? And you say yes or no and you struggle with that and you ask, what was my legacy? What did I leave behind? Listen, every time that I've talked to someone, most people have never worried about if they've left behind enough money. They've asked the question, do my people know that there's a God? Did I live a life as such that people can look at my life and know that there's a God? One for their family, but then also in that moment of asking that question is Am I ready to meet this God? Because you know in those moments when nothing else counts, when you don't have when your money doesn't count, that your life, your thoughts, your perspective begins to change. On what is it truly going to take for me to enter into heaven? What does it look like to live life for an eternity? Because life is over and you're looking forward and you're saying, what is next? What has my hope been in? Has my hope been in my wealth or has my hope been in Him? And in those moments, your perspective begins to change and begin to rethink what life is all about. Who richly provides for us everything for our enjoyment? The last thing I want you to grasp is that we should be leaning into our provider instead of into our provisions. Lean into the provider instead of our provisions. Why hope in riches when the one you hope in can richly provide? Lean in to the provider instead of in your riches. Listen, life is short. We need money. We need those things to live life but my challenge for us is to begin to understand let's live life within margin and in living life with margin that hey those are going to be we're not owners of those things but we're stewards of those things so as God blesses us we can pass them on and we can be like Teflon and that we receive it with an ability to pass it on over these next few weeks you have an opportunity through RACT, which we've done last year we're doing again this year a random acts of Christmas kindness and so it's an opportunity a practical way there's a bag back there in the back, you grab that bag, it's got some cards, it's got some ideas to challenge you to think through how can I be generous? One of the ways that we can break this mold of us gathering and hoarding and taking and saying it's about me, it's grabbing stuff is to become generous and begin to pass stuff off and to give to other people. And, and this is a great season to be able to do that because we're, we're just thinking about those kind of things. And so you can go to, to Waterburger. I talked about this last week and go to Waterberg and say, hey, I'm going to pay for the family behind me. And what I would challenge you to do is to not look behind you before you do it, because it will challenge your generosity. Because you think, hey, I'm sure there's just a, a, a lady back there in the back, an old lady that's going to eat like a little small cheeseburger and fries. And so it's going to cost me like five bucks. And you say, hey, I'm going to do it. And then you look back and there's like a family of 20 and, and then you're like, begin to, to challenge your generosity. So I mean begin to think about, hey, how, what are some ways that I can practically give? Because this is the deal; it's a gift, and a true gift. This is again something that we struggle with: is when someone gives you a gift, a true gift, there's nothing that comes back in return. Now we struggle with this because even at our house, there's times that hey, somebody will say, hey, I've, Becky and I receive a gift, and immediately the question for us becomes, okay, oh, they weren't on our list. Y'all have this moment? Okay, maybe not. So at our house, sometimes there's a gift that comes and we're like, Shh, they weren't on our list. Why are we going to get them? And one day I was like, it's a gift. They didn't say we have to give them something back. He's like, oh, no, 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 uh. Uh-uh. There is an etiquette about this. And I'm like, no, there's not. And so, I mean, as, you know, as a teacher, I mean, they, sometimes they get gifts and I'm like, you, you don't have to give all the kids gifts too. I mean, you gotta think through these things. And so listen, this is what it looks like for us to be gospel people is that we're supposed to be giving gifts to people without an expectation of something in return, because that's truly what a gift is, because that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, is God has given us the gift of Jesus Christ, understanding that we could never give something back that would be of equal value. All He's asked of us is to receive the gift and to live our life in a response to that gift, knowing that, hey, there's nothing I can do, nothing I can say, I can't be generous enough, I can't give enough, I can't do enough, that would ever allow me to repay that gift. And if there's nothing more practical than for us as followers of Christ is to be gift givers. And even say, please do not give anything back to me in return. The best thing to do is to give it and to walk away and not ever know that that you're even the one that gave it. One of the best things that we did one time as a student ministry was we went to, on a mission trip, and we went to a laundromat. And we went at at a... Weird time of the day. It was open twenty four hours seven. We went in and we put quarters. What am I saying? Twenty five eight twenty four seven. Sorry, I'm having Thanksgiving coma here with my mind. But we put quarters and all the different stuff. And so we would and we put um, an ice chest full of cokes and drinks and stuff. And so we would have people and we would do all these different things. And we would come back by like every hour or so and we would hit all these different laundry mats. And it was amazing to just to kind of watch the response of people of hey they're They're doing their laundry. They're like, what is this? And just the response that you have from that one year. We also, we went to all the restaurants. I don't know if you can necessarily do this still, but we would go into all the restaurants on restaurant row, and we would go in, and this is nasty, y'all. We would clean the bathrooms. You can imagine teenagers with excitement cleaning bathrooms at fast food places with excitement. They didn't go in there at first with excitement, but you can imagine the response of the management team and the workers there Whenever teenagers came in and said, hey, we're here. As a matter of fact, we just cleaned your bathrooms. Here's a card. We've, we've cleaned your bathrooms. We're on our way out. And people were like, what in the world? And so what it would look like for us to be generous and to think of creatively, how can we serve our community and be generous in ways that would shock and awe them, but they wouldn't even know it's you? And to know, hey, this is truly just a gift. I want to give a gift to someone because we understand that our heart naturally gravitates toward give me more, give me more, give me more. And the best way to break that is to give, give, give. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You for the greatest gift through Jesus Christ. Thank You for this Thanksgiving season. What you've blessed us with. One, with a, a nation that we're able to freely come and worship and to do and to travel and to see and be a part of family and all that. Father, thank you for an opportunity to just to gather here this morning. And to sing your praises and to sing your honor, about your honor and your glory. And to sing about what you mean to us. And, Father, as we enter into a season where we just celebrated Black Friday, the busiest shopping day of the year, and we're out buying and giving and doing, and, Father, that it's so easy for our focus and our reflection to remove and move away from the primary reason for this season. And Father, I just pray for each one of us is that we, each and every morning that we get up during the season, we just say, Father... Today, give me my daily bread. Neither poverty nor riches, but give me my daily bread. And Father, show me an opportunity that I can be generous. Show me an opportunity that I can can give to someone that would surprise them and shock them and awe them. And Father, that maybe, maybe, maybe that they would give this Jesus guy an opportunity. That they would see the good news of Jesus with these gifts. For Father, that's our desire is to look and to act and to think and to treat people like you treated us. And that's to give us more than we deserve, beyond what we could ever repay. May we be those type of people. May we live rich, not just with the financial blessings, but Father, as you continue to say, in good deeds with the way that we treat people, the way that we talk to people, the way that we include people, and that, Father, that there are none of those people, but it's everybody is my people. For Father, everyone is your people. And we want to include all of your people. Father, may we be a blessing to those around us in these coming days. It's in your Son's name that we pray.